The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNEW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Get into some email questions and comments in segment three. Love your questions. So taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, basically any money question besides an individual stock, buy, hold, or sell. Got a team of me and now since our merger with EP Wealth, about 50 certified financial planner practitioners in terms of a resource to answer a money question. So check it out. Go to chadburton.com. Um, so fresh new highs last week. And there was a report yesterday from Strategus, is a company that we use for market research at EP Wealth. And they noted that more than 90% of the names in the S&P 500 are trading above their 200-day moving average. And last week, I talked about checks checklist of, okay, we're at a, a, an all-time market high, but does this look like a typical bubble type of a situation. And when you're in a bubble type of a situation, you have bad market breath. Not like, oh, you woke up in the morning, you forgot to brush your teeth. Breath, breath, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, breath. And what happens at a top of a lot of markets when it's kind of starting to be over is that the market is making new highs, but very few stocks are making new highs. It's, so it's a handful of companies that are driving the tops. And even though we've got some really expensive tech names, that's not what's happening right now. So that's interesting to note. 90% of the names in the S&P 500 trading above their 200-day moving average. In bonds, the 10-year treasury climbed last week 10 basis points to 1.17%. And the spread between the 10-year treasury and the two-year U.S. Treasury rose to the highest level in almost four years. So we're starting to see a increasingly clear that the path of least resistance is, is higher from here on interest rates. Um, you're starting to talk about the inflation tra- or re-inflation trade and, and talks of inflation out there. So that'll let bond yields likely march up. So hopefully if you haven't refinanced your house lately, you're working on that. If you have a, I mean, the rates are so insanely low. I can't, if I think about the first house that I bought over 26 years ago now, and the rate of like 8.1%, which was good at the time, (laughs) no wonder why prices of homes are a lot higher, right? The rates are so much lower. Now the economy is expected to grow at a nice clip this year. There's so much liquidity and cash out in the markets uh, between higher income people making more money last year and businesses that weren't affected by the virus, businesses like 
hotel, travel, leisure, any other businesses, a lot of them had one of the best years ever last year, oddly enough, as everybody was working at home. So it's a very small segment of the economy that got really crushed and is still getting crushed by this. We talked about restaurant owners in the past, very tough time. But where we go from here, even though there's so much liquidity in the market, we're expecting this big fiscal stimulus package to push through the economy, create jobs, create demand. It's all going to be driven by the virus. Mutations versus vaccinations is kind of what I'm thinking here. Mutations, the virus versus vaccinations. Who's going to win? Hopefully the vaccinations. So the market is it's not cheap, right? It's not super expensive, though, because we can justify valuations on a relative basis, not a historical basis, because the P.E. ratio is north of 22-ish or so on the S&P 500 right now. So price earnings is above the 10-year average, above the five-year average, obviously. Not super cheap in any way, shape, or form, historically. But relatively, you can justify some valuations here. First of all, number one issue is the makeup of the S&P 500, which we've talked about. You've got companies that are growing revenue very quickly at this point, making up a large portion of the S&P 500. It is not an equal market cap weighted index. You basically have 50 names really controlling the majority of the movement in the S&P 500 right now. Now, like I said, the breadth has been pretty good recently, but it happens to be the largest companies in the world are tech companies right now. And those are the companies that are growing revenue very quickly. And so people are paying a very high price for tech stocks right now. So the makeup is one thing. The nominal real yield is really low. And so it's, it's, it's basically... Think of that as the interest rate on, or the rate, your income from bonds minus inflation. And that is extremely low. So when you look at that on a relative basis, stocks are still attractive for income-oriented investors because 63% of the companies in the S&P 500 have yields, have dividend income greater than the 10-year treasury. Just think about that for a minute. 63% of the companies in the S&P 500, the dividend yield produces more income than if you were to take that money and invest it in a 10-year treasury. If you invest money in a 10-year treasury for the U.S. government, you're going to get that yield of what, like 1.17% or so for 10 years, and then you're going to get your money back. Do you think most companies in the S&P 500 are going to be higher in value now. So 63% of those companies are paying a higher yield than the S&P, than the 10-year treasury. And there's potential for them to sell more goods and services over the next 10 years, simply because of population growth. And remember, the S&P 500 is the largest 500 companies in the United States. So you have this ongoing battle as an investor. Stocks versus bonds, stocks versus bonds. Now, that battle gets bigger and bigger as you get closer to retirement because you need more safety in retirement. It's not about wealth creation anymore. It's about wealth preservation. And this is why investors in retirement these days, 26 years that I've been doing this, are way more aggressive than they've been in the past. Because when I first got in the business, you could easily get 6% out of a pretty conservative bond fund. Now it's closer to 2 2.5%. 
So people are like, okay, I've got my, if I listen to Chad and I have three years worth of portfolio draws on the sidelines and stocks tend to do really well over 15, 20 year cycles, as long as I don't sell when the market's down, I have enough cash and dividends and interest for my bonds, then I'll be okay. So I'm going to take a little bit more risk. And that's totally up to you. That's not a recommendation, but that's what most people are doing these days. That's why you keep hearing these terms. Hey, the 60-40 portfolio is dead. When I first got in the business, it was 40-60. 40% stock, 60% bonds. That switched several years back. And now they're saying because the bonds yield so low, you have to do other alternative assets, whether it's real estate, whether it's... uh, I mean, some people, it's having a touch of cryptocurrency. It's having some alternative assets that are out there. So that's up to you to think about. But the fact of the matter is the market has done really well, but bonds are pretty low. So you actually have to have more to retire in your portfolio and live successfully now than you did 10 years ago. And it's not because of inflation. Inflation has been really, really low. It's because your bonds aren't going to return as much as your parents' bonds and definitely not going to return as much as your grandparents' bonds. And oddly enough, you're going to live longer because of medical advances. And we are going to be blown away by medical advances that are coming in the next 10 years. Just look at how quick a new style of vaccine was created because of COVID. Science and technology and healthcare all merging together. It's going to be amazing over the next decade. Love those questions. Shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. And uh, this first one, I got to go over a couple of email questions here. This first one, this is a great one because it's in Wisconsin. Hello, thanks for all your podcasts. I live in Wisconsin and belong to a Yammer finance group at work and someone recommended your podcast. Love it. Thanks for what you do. I also listen to Roger Whitney, Jason Parker, and a few others. I'm turning 50 this year and my family and I are making the best of COVID and living healthy and happy in a Florida Airbnb right now. Likely going to buy here for duo residence. Wisconsin winter is brutal. Want to retire from corporate America at 55. Well, that's good. Just sharing so you know who is listening and benefiting from your podcast. Thanks again. And please email your 10 pillars resource. That's from Lisa in Wisconsin. So love that. Thanks for reaching out, Lisa. If you're listening, especially outside of the Bay Area, uh, where the show is played live and you listen to the podcast somewhere else, I'd love it if you guys reach out and uh, shoot me an email or just go to Facebook and click on and type in Chad Burton Podcast. That's the newer podcast page since uh, New Focus, our old company name, has now become EP Wealth. And we've merged with a larger firm. And now as EP Wealth, we have offices in several states. So we might have one close to you. So if you need help, you're listening outside of California or Portland, Vancouver area. We've had traditionally had offices. We're now all over the place. And we do fee-only, fiduciary-based investment management, retirement planning, estate planning. Now we can do estate planning, including the documents like basic will trust, things like that, in-house, as well as tax returns for 1040s. Not for you know the business owners. Business owners need to stick with their, stick with their local CPA. There's a lot of stuff to do there. But if it's a simple 1040 return and, and a trust return, not a problem. You can now you can go to one place and have that all done as long as you have a half a million dollars under management with us. Um, all right. This next one is from Dawn. Dawn said, I took an early retirement package from Cisco and I will be on Cobra for at least 18 months. Can I still contribute to an HSA plan for my family? 
That's a great question. So I know for a fact, a lot of people that took the early package from Cisco, uh, they stuck with the Cobra plan because the, the coverage is good. And if you compared it to the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, you know, cover California plans, it's more cost effective than the platinum plan, which was comparable. And especially if you had a high deductible HSA account. So if you were, if you left Cisco, you went on Cobra and you stuck with the HSA plan, the high deductible plan that allows you to contribute to a healthcare savings account or health savings account. Yes, you can still contribute to an HSA account for your family. So how do the HSA plans work? First of all, an HSA plan has a much higher deductible than a normal healthcare plan. And for example, my plan, I don't do the HSA plan because my family's going to the doctor too much between me and snowboarding and snowmobiling and my son in soccer and snowboarding and my daughter in cheer and ankle sprains and knee issues and back issues, and all that kind of stuff. It just doesn't really work out for us. Um, when the kids are gone and I'm still healthy, I could see that switching to an HSA plan would work for me. So if, what, where it really works a lot is when you have healthy, empty nesters or healthy people and kids aren't in like dangerous sports, especially things like motocross, then you get a high deductible plan because nobody hardly ever goes to the doctor and it allows you to fund for your family a $7,200 into a health savings account. Now, this is like a super duper Roth IRA. Not, you know, we always talk about the mega Roth IRA that you can do inside your 401k. This is a super duper IRA, uh, Roth IRA because in a health savings account, you can put the money in and get a deduction. It's up to $7,200 for a family. If somebody's 55 or older, they can do an extra $1,000. That's $8,200 in 2021. You get a tax deduction for putting money into the HSA account, health savings account. And then it grows tax-free and you never pay any taxes on any of the money as long as it's used for the qualified medical expenses. And that could include your Medicare premiums and supplemental insurance premiums in retirement. So they're very, very powerful tools. So if you're a healthy person and you don't go to the doctor much and you haven't explored an HSA plan, you should. You absolutely should. So you take more risk on the deductible side because you're going to pay more money out of pocket before the insurance company kicks in. If you're not going to the doctor much, you can sock away a ton of money into an account that grows tax-free forever as long as it's used for healthcare costs. And you can invest it in normal, no-load mutual funds and ETFs, which is the great part. So it is a super-duper Roth IRA for health insurance costs. Now, the average couple needs about 300 grand set aside for healthcare costs. If they're going to have, say, okay, how much is is health insurance care costs, insurance, deductibles, all these miscellaneous costs. For a couple, they would set aside around $300,000 to $330,000 in in their healthcare bucket that's invested. And they would drain that over their retirement years. And if they can drain that tax-free in a healthcare savings account or health savings account, that's great. Um, Now, there's a couple ways to fund it. So, Dawn, if you're still... If you still have high income, let's say, I'm assuming because you took an early retirement package, you have a lot of assets. And if that's the case, you're going to have dividends and interest and capital gains and other sources of income potentially from rental properties. So if you still need the deduction, 
you can fund the HSA account if you're on COBRA with cash and get a tax deduction. If you don't need the deduction this year, but you still want to fund the healthcare savings account, there's actually a way to do a one-time rollover from your IRA. If you're over 55, you can roll over $8,200 from your IRA into a healthcare savings account and get it funded. So it essentially takes $8,200 out of your IRA, puts it into a health savings account, and now it's going to grow tax-free for the rest of your life as long as it's used for medical expenses. I mean, it's, it's a really cool deal. Now, once you're off COBRA and you're done and you're probably at your age going to have to go on to some version of the Affordable Health Care Act, um, which will have a lot of changes upcoming under the Biden administration, I'm sure, you're eventually going to want to move that health savings account to another provider that's out there, a better, potentially a better, cheaper option with a broader range of investment options. So that's something to think about. And anybody that's out there that goes into early retirement, you're like, okay, I'm going to take this early package from my company. And I'm assuming you've done some really good, careful retirement planning projections that include proper conservative rates of return, proper rates of inflation on normal expenses, and as well as healthcare expenses, tax planning, and you know you truly have enough. And if that's the case and you're able to early retirement, you usually have some sort of a liquidation event, maybe a couple years worth of severance, a big stock option sell that creates a lot of cash. And early retirement is a great time to focus on Roth conversions if you had a liquidation event. Because typically you have a lot of cash, you'll have a lot of investments, and then you have a large retirement account because you're able to retire early. So what we do is we make sure you have enough cash for the next three years to live. And over those three years, when you're living off your tax-free cash, you convert enough of your IRAs or 401ks to max out the 12% bracket, move it over into a tax-free Roth account, and that'll be huge tax planning for 2020. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. I want to just touch again on a topic that I was talking about just before the break. And this is especially powerful those that take some sort of an early retirement package or have a large liquidation event and then go into retirement. Because when you have a large liquidation event, you have a lot of cash. That cash has already been taxed. And if you can live off that for especially three to five years, and then you're sitting there not drawing on any other asset or selling any other stock or anything like that, you're, what's hitting your tax return is dividends and interest. Dividends from stocks, interest from bonds, and interest from your bank accounts. And let's, let's say you're a married couple filing jointly and you have some dividends and interest. You're not pulling anything out of your retirement accounts yet. You're not taking Social Security yet. So your taxes are extremely low. Extremely low. Because as you live off of your cash and you're pulling cash out of your bank, even though you might be wealthy, your tax bracket's really low because you're not selling any stock or pulling money out of retirement accounts. Now, people, when they file their taxes, they either take the standard deduction or they itemize their deductions, whichever is better. And married filing jointly, the 2021 standard deduction is $25,100. That means the first $25,100 of dividends and interest income is totally tax-free. And then you can have on top of that another, what is it, 80, about $81,000 
of income before you break out of the 12% federal tax bracket. That's pretty, pretty large, $81,050. Because the first 25 that I mentioned, because of the standard deduction, is tax-free. The next 19900 is at 10%. And from 19901 to $81,050, that's at 12% taxes. These, I can't stress this enough, this is the lowest tax situation we've been in since I've been in the business for 26 years. Extremely low especially with that increase in the standard deduction. It's very powerful for retirees what happened with the tax cut in 2017. But guys, it's not sticking around. It's, it's not. It might for these tax brackets because Biden administration really wants to push up the taxes on, the, on an income north of 400, really. But there's other things that are, that are going to happen, I think, on top of that because... Social Security and Medicare are just not working properly. So taxes are going up in the future. That means really focusing on moving as much money from an IRA to the Roth at a 12% bracket is super, super ideal when you go into retirement early. So if a person retires early because they have a liquidation event, they sell a bunch of stock options, sell a bunch of their employer stock purchase program, whatever it may be, they have a bunch of cash. And they can say, okay, I'm, I've got more than my three years worth of portfolio draws in cash that Chad talks about. I've got well over that. I'm going to live off of that, keep my taxes really low. But every year, towards the end of the year, I'm going to move a certain amount of money from my IRA to my Roth to max out that 12% bracket. I'm just going to pay that 12% federal plus state now so that once I move it into the Roth IRA, it's going to grow tax-free for the rest of my life. Roth IRAs do not have required minimum distributions. If you don't spend it, it can go to your kids and they can have tax-free growth for another 10 years after you die. It doesn't affect your Social Security taxation. It doesn't affect your Medicare premiums. Roths are extremely powerful. So jump on that, all right? Make sure you're constantly from the age of retirement to age 72 when required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts kick in. That's when you should be focused on IRA to Roth conversions. If you have a large estate, currently the amount that you can leave to your heirs is over $11.5 million. That's probably going to get cut in half. And the SECURE Act killed the IRA stretch or the stretch IRA. So if you're trying to leave money to your kids and reduce estate taxes, pay the taxes for them. If, they're a, if you a, have a large estate, well over a million dollars, or even in some cases over five and a half, because Biden's probably going to cut the estate tax provisions in half, the lifetime credits in half. If your kids are at a high bracket and they're always going to be at a high bracket, if you go ahead and pay the taxes on your IRA by moving it to a Roth, it reduces their federal income tax burden, and it also removes money from your estate that's subject to estate taxes. Get it? It's pretty powerful for super wealthy people as well. All right, moving on. So many questions about Bitcoin lately. I mean, this, this whole Reddit thing, GameStop, as I mentioned on the last podcast, I had people coming out of the woodwork, people that I hadn't seen since junior high asking me about GameStop and some of the other stocks. And it turned around and dropped over 90% since that time when it really hit the news. So I uh, feel sorry for the people that, hey, I've never invested in stocks before, but I'm going to jump on in late to this party and get crushed. And now they're never going to invest again. Unfortunately, my fear that I talked about last podcast came true. So many questions on Bitcoin, especially since yesterday, Tesla said it invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin and will allow customers to buy cars using the digital assets. So first of all, none of what I'm saying is advice. I'm not telling you to buy or sell Bitcoin at all, 
right? Just talking about what the facts are because I keep getting a lot of questions on it. And I don't answer that stuff by social media. So I'm going to point people to the podcast. Bitcoin was up another 20% yesterday. Um, and haven't, haven't checked it today, but uh, let's see, where is it? B-I-T is the symbol. So for those of you listening to the podcast, I'm doing this radio show live at 6.40 in the morning on Tuesday, February 9th. And uh, I can't pull it up right now, but up a little bit again today, I believe. But it was up 20% yesterday because Tesla announced that. And by 8 a.m. yesterday, Ethan Wolf, uh, Ethan Wolf Mann, senior writer for Yahoo Finance, had an article out, which I'll talk about in a minute, seven public companies with exposure to Bitcoin. So companies that are actually putting cash from their balance sheet into Bitcoin and having that as an asset that affects their value. Now, while our company, you know, we obviously manage money for people. Over $10 billion is a firm at EP Wealth that we manage for other people. We have minor exposure through Bitcoin, through funds. We don't have direct Bitcoin investments. Um, and we have exposure, obviously, to investments in companies that use blockchain, which is the math and the technology behind cryptocurrency. But Bitcoin is not a typical investment. It's a store of value. So when we invest money, we're looking at valuations of stocks in different sectors of the economy or asset classes, like whether or not it's emerging markets, international, large cap, small cap, mid cap, things like that. Now, stocks, they have revenue from sales of goods or services. Then there's expenses and then there's profit, right? You can, is revenue growing up? Are the expenses being controlled? Are they profitable? What's their profit margins? And you can analyze a stock based on how quickly their revenue is doing, how much profit they have, price earnings, price to sales, price to book. And then bonds have income with the idea of what's the duration of a bond fund, what's the risk of interest rates going up, things like that. Bitcoin will only go up in the long run if somebody else is willing to pay more for it. It's a store of value. There's no revenue and expenses and profits. So it's not a traditional investment. It's a store of value. It's a new style of currency that's extremely, extremely volatile. It's a speculation asset at this point in time. But it's getting a lot of press. A lot of press. I mean, I've mentioned who I think is a true bond king out there with Guggenheim, Scott Minard. He even loves it. JP Morgan's talking about it. And everybody's talking about Bitcoin. So I don't mind if my clients buy it and, and, and put some of their money that they don't necessarily fully need for retirement into it. But be ready for a ride. It's extremely volatile. The last time people were talking about it this much was about 18 months, two years ago or so, right after it had a rally and then everybody went home for Thanksgiving, like I mentioned, then it popped a little bit more and then crashed. And just a little while ago, now that we're north of 46,000, just a little while ago, back in, it was like 35,000. And so it could be some news of government regulation on Bitcoin, which could send it way back down again. But everybody's talking about, just like everybody's talking about tech stocks in 1999. It is here to stay, though, so you need to learn about it. So the idea of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is very real, but it's kind of, kind of hokey because then you got like Dogecoin, which was a, a cryptocurrency created based on a meme. And you know, Elon is also tweeting about that. And then there's Ethereum and Litecoin and all this other stuff. But besides volatility 
the massive movements way up and way down, which is why it can't be a real good form of currency and transactions because by the time the transaction's done, the business can either make a lot of money or lose a lot of money when it's the transaction, when you're done paying for something. Do not invest in cryptocurrency unless you can understand it. You can explain to others what it is. You can explain how the miners work. You explain how there's a limited amount of Bitcoin that will be mined. And don't buy it unless you can tell me you're using major security. You're a password ninja. You're a multi-factor authentication ninja when it comes to logging into your financial accounts. That your computer is relatively new and you know how to use a password keeper like LastPass. And there's multiple ways that you're not going to forget your password because you, you, there's, there's people that are millionaires from Bitcoin and they can't access it. They can't get in. Isn't that crazy? How, how upsetting is that? Now, how do you buy it? Do you need, since yesterday, Bitcoin closed at $46,425. Do you have to buy one coin? Did you have to invest fully $46,425 in Bitcoin to buy it? That's one question. Where do you keep it? That's another question. It's not a physical asset. So where is it stored? Now, you can buy as little as $2 into Bitcoin. There's Coinbase that's out there. That's, that's the most common place that people have it. And where you keep it. We'll talk about some of these things after the break. It's here to stay. You got to learn about it. But don't invest until you understand it. And it's kind of difficult to understand. Actually talking about Bitcoin here because so many questions on it. And my, my common response is it's not a typical investment. If you want to buy it, you buy it on your own. I don't mind it if you're doing it with speculation money. Because it's still the wild, wild west here. If you remember a couple of years ago that we're starting to hear about a whole bunch of companies that were going to start allowing people to pay for Subway sandwiches with Bitcoin and it kind of all got shut down because the volatility was like, by the time the transaction goes through and then there's transaction costs, that it was just, it wasn't, it was so volatile that by the time the transaction went through, the business was either make a lot of money or lose a lot of money. It's just too volatile as a common form of currency right now. And there's a lot of talk about Bitcoin. So you should learn about how it works, but do not invest in it until you know how it works, how the mining works, how the blockchain works, um, limited amounts, how it's split in the past, um, all sorts of things. It, it, it takes some studying to do it. But people are like blindly throwing money into speculation assets right now, whether it's IPOs or Reddit stocks or cryptocurrencies. And some of the people that get into cryptocurrency talk about, well, the US dollar is a fiat currency. There's no gold backing. It's just made up by the government. Okay, well, Bitcoin is priced in US dollars. So, uh, you know, what's, how do you justify the valuation of it? The valuation is justified because there's continues to be more and more people that are willing to pay more for Bitcoin than you did. But if that ever turns around, there you go. And it's not that idea of like, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, but I've got my cryptocurrency. Well, okay. So that's, you've got to be able to log in to get it. So, and if we go into like an apocalypse situation, I want gasoline and ammo. And I guess now a way to continue to charge the Tesla that I drive. So I don't know what crypto is going to do if we, uh, if we have zombies running around. But anyways, that's, I'm just joking. 
you don't want to buy it unless you can understand it. You can explain it to other people and you're using major security on your systems. I run into wealthy people all the time that have laptops that are six years old that aren't even giving updates anymore. And they're logging into their financial accounts and it just blows my mind. I use a very intense password keeper with a ridiculous password, uh, multi-factor authentication on my financial accounts and get a new laptop at least every two years. So how do you buy it? Do you need $46,425, which is the closing price yesterday to get into it? Most of the common places that people buy Bitcoin is at Coinbase. You could buy as little as $2 into Bitcoin if you look at Coinbase's site. Now, where do you keep it? If you look at Wiki, the best way to store Bitcoin is either to use a hardware wallet, a multi-signature wallet, or a cold storage wallet. Have your wallet create a speed phrase, write it down on paper, and store it in a safe place. For several safe places, is backups. Ideally, the wallet should be backed by your own full node, N-O-D-E. Are you confused now? <laughs> so, uh, it's crazy, huh? Now, Coinbase, if you go onto their site, they prioritize the security of our customers' digital currency through a combination of online hot storage and offline cold storage. Okay, so my cryptocurrency is either hot or cold. That's what people are thinking right now. Uh, Coinbase maintains 98% or more of customer digital currency in cold storage with the remainder in secure hot servers as necessary to serve the liquidity needs of our customers. It goes on and on to talk about the insurance if Coinbase is breached. But they also go on to say the insurance policy does not cover any losses resulting from the compromise of your individual Coinbase account. So not only have people lost their ability to get into their wallet that holds their their cryptocurrencies, but they've been hacked and lost millions of dollars in the past. So that's still up to you. Your security, your cybersecurity is still up to you. So don't even bother until you can tell me you're a password multi-factor authentication ninja when it comes to all of your financial assets. And even then, you're in the wild, wild west of something that's new. But you're going to be talked about more and more. And you're going to see some wild price moves as the frenzy is continuing on here. So um, this is not a recommendation to buy or sell. Let me just tell you that when it comes to Bitcoin. Uh, There was an interesting article that I already mentioned last segment by Ethan Wolfman, senior writer for Yahoo Finance, that pointed out that you could invest in companies that have large amounts of money in Bitcoin. Again, none of I don't own any of these directly. This is not an investment recommendation. It's just interesting to say, okay, instead of having to do this whole Coinbase thing and everything else, you can invest directly in a company. There's Silvergate Capital that focuses on the digital currency industry. They have $5 billion in digital currencies, largely in Bitcoin. There's Mogo, a Canadian fintech company and finance app that offers crypto, concern, concurrent, uh, crypto component for its users. Uh, MicroStrategy, which is a business intelligence company that bought $250 million in Bitcoin last August, and PayPal. Now, it doesn't, they don't have Bitcoin on their balance sheet, I don't believe, but PayPal allows users to buy and sell with Bitcoin now. So, so does Square. And Square's founder, Jack Dorsey, has long been a fan of Bitcoin. One of the things you have to be careful of is that People that are investing heavily in cryptocurrency or trading it, they're also really good online. They're really good pumping things up. 
on social media or Reddit or whatever, and then taking some profits. You get it? It's like that old boiler room. It's the old Wolf of Wall Street stuff. So, man, if you're going to do this, if you're going to take some of your speculation money and put it in something like Bitcoin, you, you can go direct like by a Coinbase. You can go into some of these companies. I mean, buying Tesla, now you're at $1.5 in Bitcoin. There's Galaxy Holdings. Um, you just be ready for a ride. There's no revenues, expenses, and ability to calculate profit. It's a store of value, and it's depending on what other people are wanting to take it off your plate for. Now, there's also some ETFs like GBTC, which is Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which has a 2% fee. So I'm not sure why, besides trying to do it in retirement accounts, and you could do it. Most firms make you be an accredited investor. There's lots of blockchain ETF options if you're interested in the technology, but at least learn about it. It doesn't hurt. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find out more about my company, P Wealth, at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, podcast links. They're all there. Have a great day. 